and this is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we juxtapose the book of Jonah against the other Assyrian prophet to Israel, the book of Nahum. We'll take a look at the other side of the equation of how God deals with evil. So I was kind of thinking about this, like, God dealing with evil. Like, this this book is, a, is maybe a slightly different perspective of how God deals with evil. It's not a, it's not a simple simple formula for what what happens you know right a lot of the times in the bible you see people crying out like god why are you letting this happen what about all this you know the sin of the amorites hasn't reached its full potential it's like what are you talking about like look at what they're doing right like the perspective that god has to have to deal with evil in the way that he does right is very difficult to wrap our minds around right and it's definitely true that god is slow to anger and so i think the the part of his nature that maybe we wrestle with, I don't know if we wrestle with it more often or not, but the part of the of his nature we might wrestle with more often is why he doesn't deal with injustice. Why doesn't he do something? And that was what the book of Jonah was about. The book of Jonah reminded us that uh, God doesn't do stuff because of the potential of people. God is not quick to judge. He's not quick to condemn. He is slow to anger. Because if we will turn around, if we'll repent, if we'll do the right things, we're just loaded with potential and we can do so much. And God understands that. But to say that God never does anything about evil would definitely miss the point. And so Nahum's going to be, on one hand, a refreshing reminder of that, but it's also going to, like you said, this isn't something that's easily formulated or easily resolved. And so it's just going to create maybe even some more questions when it comes to that kind of stuff. So... Um, so we've been talking about the prophets. We talked about four pre-Assyrian prophets, all of which were bringing warning. Two prophets to Israel, two prophets to Judah. They were all bringing warning, warning to God's people because they didn't care about those on the margins. They didn't care about the poor. They didn't care about justice. And so Amos and Hosea came to Israel and said, you got to change your ways. Micah and first Isaiah came to Judah and said, you got to change your ways. Uh, did any of them listen, Brent? Uh, the people of Judah did listen. People of Judah did. Not perfectly. They weren't perfect, but they listened. They repented. They And God rescued them. Uh, but the people of Israel didn't seem to do that. And so in the Assyrian prophets, you have two prophets that come to them trying to help Israel wrestle with the fact that they've now been conquered by the Assyrians. And what do you do with this injustice? And so you have Jonah and Nahum end up being your two prophets. And they really end up being the two sides to the coin, two sides of the mishpat coin, if you will. Um, we talked about mishpat. What was the word for, what's mishpat mean for us in English? Uh, retributive justice. Mishpat. Oh, sorry. Distributive justice. Distributive justice. And, uh, and, and, and so we got two different sides of this coin. And you know where we're headed, so that's why you had a little... Yeah tongue tie right there because that's what Nahum's going to deal with is it's going to deal with the other side of that coin so before we even do that Nahum is three chapters long Brent I feel like we can I feel like we can read it spend some time in the text let's do it all right here we go I was even told you might even have some questions for me as I read through this we'll see what comes up all right I like this Nahum chapter one the prophecy concerning Nineveh So the same Nineveh that Jonah went to that repented in sackcloth and ashes, even their animals that God was so concerned about. Okay, same Nineveh. Here's a prophecy concerning Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. (laughs) We're off to a much different tone here. 
than the book of Jonah. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm. His clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence. The world and all who live in it who can withstand his indignation who can endure his fierce anger his wrath is poured out like fire the rocks are shattered before him so there's this pretty uh, alarming picture of god but keep in mind that for the people hearing this we said this was written to who to israel to israel this is actually a message of hope because you're wanting to know especially after a book like jonah like does god care Assyrius just destroyed our home hurt my family members brutally taken advantage of our people. Does God care? And this book says, yes, yes, God does care. And yes, God's going to do something. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. That's right. That is, if we just read it for like me, if I read it with that typical, like, what does the Bible say for me? Like, this can be a really alarming book. Like, oh my goodness, I can, I can read this and be quite afraid. But to remember its context is to hear a message of hope. Um, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. This is what the Lord says, although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command against, concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temples of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you, nor uh, no more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Now you got chapter two there, right? Yeah. So before we go on, though, okay, we've got a little bit of talk of images and idols. Yes. Okay. So we're going back to our agendas. Glad for, glad you pulled us back to that because we had two different agendas, source A agenda, source B agenda. As we walk through the prophets, Jonah was kind of a weird one to look for it. But as you walk through the prophets, you're looking for, is this about justice or is this about idolatry? Is this about empire or is this about immorality? What's the problem? And so here you've pointed out a reference to idols and idolatry, right? Not a whole lot in the midst of God just saying, you're just going to get judged. But if there's been a mention in chapter one as to why... There's an allusion here to idolatry. Okay. Interesting. Not real definitive, but... Not real definitive. It's the only thing we got. And we're not done yet, but uh, we definitely wanted to notice that and not be unfair to our assessment of Nahum. All right. Chapter two. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress, watch the road, brace yourselves, marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines. The shields of the soldiers are red, the warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of juniper are brandished. 
The chariots stormed through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. Nineveh summons her picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open, and the palace collapses. It is decreed that Nineveh be exiled and carried away. Her female slaves moan like doves and beat on their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless, the wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble, every face grows pale. Where now is the lion's den, the place where they fed their young, where the lion and lioness went and the cubs with nothing to fear? The lion killed enough for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his lairs with the kill and his dens with the prey. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. So the message continues here really clearly. God is going to deal with the injustice of Nineveh. Now, if we have chapter 2 here, if there's been any mention, no mentions of idols, but there has been some mention here of injustice. God says, you know, where, where is this great lion's den and the way that it killed its prey and stockpiled it for itself? And 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 in light of that, God says, I am against you because of how you've treated those that you've conquered. All right? So we might have we might have one to one here on our on our agenda count. So we'll have to have a tiebreaker. All right. Chapter three. Give me chapter three. I've I've got a we'll do the tiebreaker. All right. It's not gonna take long. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses, jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords, glintering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I think we may have had tiebreaker. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And I don't want to go past some of this stuff without pointing out, we really soften this in the English, I think, because the hyperbole makes us so nervous. This is prophetic hyperbole. And... It's prophetic exaggeration. It's making its point by stating it with veracity and clarity. Uh, there's no wishy-washiness in the things that are being said here. Um, I will pelt you with filth. There'd be other ways of translating that that might not be quite as G-rated, but appreciate what they're trying to do. I will, I will lift your skirts over your face and show the nations your nakedness. This is... Really, uh, in the Hebrew, this is this is loaded electric speech. Uh, I will treat you with contempt. I will make you a spectacle. All who will see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? 
Are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile with water around her? The river was her defense, the waters her wall. Cush and Egypt were her boundless strength. Put and Libya were among her allies, yet she was taken captive and went into exile. Her infants were dashed to pieces at every street corner. Lots were cast for her nobles, and all her great men were put in chains. You too will become drunk. You will go into hiding and seek refuge from the enemy." All your fortresses are like fig trees with their first ripe fruit. When they are shaken, the figs fall into the mouth of the eater. Look at your troops. They are all weaklings. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has consumed the bars of your gates. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your defenses. Work the clay. Tread the mortar. Repair the brickwork. There the fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. They will devour you like a swarm of locusts. Multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like locusts. You have increased the number of your merchants till they are more numerous than the stars of the sky. But like locusts, they will strip the land and then fly away. Your guards are like locusts, your officials like swarms of locusts that settle on the walls on a cold day. When the sun appears, they fly away, and no one knows where. King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber, your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you, your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall, for who has not felt your endless cruelty? And again, it ends with a little statement about justice and how we treat people. So, this is quite a bit different than uh, Jonah, right? Jonah was all about, hey, Nineveh's great, a great city, full of potential. No judgment going to come on them. In fact, woe to you, God's people, who want me to judge Nineveh. Nahum is the other side of the coin. It's like, yeah, but don't think that God's going to do nothing about injustice. And so uh, I'll close with some notes that I have here. Uh, Jonah is held in juxtaposition with another prophet that gets categorized in the Assyrian time period. The prophet Nahum is the other side of the tension, the other side of God's nature and the cosmic equation of evil. As I have stated before, I adamantly believe that this tension between God's love and God's justice is not a matter of equal and opposing forces. God's love far outweighs. What was our ratio, Brent? A thousand to three. A thousand to three. And God's love far outweighs his desire to bring vengeance and wrath. I believe that Tanakh is incredibly clear on this point, and it is our Western mindset that, mindset that struggles with this way of thinking. For us, we either want one way or the other or a complete balance, yet the message of Nahum stands as a testimony to the way life really is. We have talked about mishpat, which you said was what, Brent? Distributive justice. Yeah, restorative. We're putting things back in their proper place. The idea of Eastern patriarchal justice. We have repeatedly made the point that biblical justice is the idea of putting things in their proper place. Mishpat has very little to do with retribution. Mishpat is the rampant idea that runs throughout Tanakh, much more than any other expression of justice. And yet, a thousand to three, there is another Hebrew expression of justice. Even when it's used far less often, what's the word, Brent? Dean. Dean. That will be our word for Nahum. Jonah, our word was potential. Let's review our words. Amos, what was Amos? Uh, Amos was plum line, ripe plum fruit. Line, plum line, ripe fruit. Uh, Hosea? Prostitute. Okay. Micah? Judge. Judge. First Isaiah? Uh, vineyard. Vineyard. And then we have uh, Jonah? Potential. Potential. And now Nahum? Dean. Dean. Dean is this Hebrew word. D-I-Y-N. Um, D-I-Y-N. It's, it's part of the title of this episode if, yeah. if you want to see it. Absolutely. 
little transliteration there. Uh, it's also used to communicate judgment. And while this word doesn't carry the idea of retribution, it does have an air of what I might call finality. Dean is a necessary part of mishpat. There are times and places where in order to restore humanity, in order to be restorative, distributive justice, uh, in order to get to that point, in order to pursue mishpat to its natural end, a judgment has to be pronounced and a decision must be made. Um, There comes a time when discussion is over and we need to get on with restoring the world. This is the message of Nahum. The problem with the book of Jonah is that while the book explains God's apparent inaction and unbelievable patience, it still doesn't deal with the problem of evil that continues to exist. So while God's incredible patience is the very thing that gives us so much hope, and while his patience is the very catalyst for mishpat in most situations, our souls still look at injustice and cry out for deliverance. And God is patient and patient and patient and forgiving and patient and mournful and patient and pleading and patient and grieving and patient. And then God finally acts. Like we said, a thousand to three. Slow to anger. It doesn't say never to anger. It says slow to anger. This is the book of Nahum. As the that, peop- that was chapter one right there. Yeah. The Lord is, uh, let me find it. Yeah. Great point. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Right, right. Like eventually, eventually people of God who are waiting for God's deliverance, God deals with stuff. If they don't live up to their potential, if they don't repent, if it continues in chaos, God eventually does something. This is the book of Nahum. As the people of Israel look at the brutality of the Assyrian warfare and terrible rule of the empire, they cry out for justice. As one more daughter gets raped and one more child is impaled on a pole and one more elderly couple is burned in their home, the people cry out for God's rescue. And while God sees the incredible potential of each and every Assyrian and patiently waits for them to come to repentance, there comes a time where God announces their coming destruction. And God sends his message to the prophet Nahum, enough is enough. And this message to Nineveh will be God's message of hope to his people who have now become the oppressed. God, through the voice of Nahum, will poetically announce that he has heard the cry of his people and will bring mishpat. Nahum is here as a proclaimer of God's deen. And I have the same problem with Nahum that I had with Joshua, if you remember, I talk about the conquest. And yet I'm left here as a reminder of how glad I am, just like I said with Joshua. I'm so glad I don't have God's job. Because I would not do a very good job of deciding when to show patience and when to bring Dean. I would make a very lousy God. King of Assyria, this is the last few verses. This is what God says. King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber. Your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Look at what God cares. He cares about people. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? And so we have to hold Jonah in one hand and Nahum in the other. We have to hear that God hears the cry of the hurting and promises that it's his business, uh, that he's in the business of mishpat. He invites us to trust in in his goodness and his perspective. He invites us to trust in his wisdom and his timing. As we always say, he invites us to trust the story. And I'm always left here with this 
I love and I have this love-hate relationship with Israel and the Assyrian prophet, period. Because I hate the tension and I love the tension. You hold Jonah in one hand and Nahum in the other. And you realize it's not a balance. It's not equal in opposing forces. It's a thousand to three. But you hold on to these two truths and these two prophets. And as you trust in God and you turn it over to him, remember in the book of Deuteronomy, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. Just turn it over to me and let me figure out the whole Jonah-Nahum debate. But we do get to have these two prophets and we do get to put them in each pocket uh, because they're both true. And we get to trust in God's uh, overall eternal wisdom, I guess we might say. And as you were saying earlier, we know Assyria is historically a, a brutal nation. Like, like right. God is probably eventually going to do something when you're acting like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Hey, we got an Israel trip coming up. We should talk about that. Yeah. Any of our listeners want to come to Israel with me? It's open. It's Do been it. open for a while at this point. By be, the time you're listening to this. There. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested, send me an email and uh, send me a message on Twitter. Do something. Find me and uh, my email is marty, M-A-R-T-Y, dot Solomon, S-O-L-O-M-O-N, like the king, marty.solomon at impacttheu.com. That's impact the letter U. That's probably just confusing. I am... P-A-C-T-T-H-E-U dot com. You know, we've got this thing called show notes. You can put my I'll email. I'll put your email in the show Fantastic. notes. Fantastic. Yeah, go ahead and send me an email if you're interested in coming to Israel. I've got an orientation video I'll have you watch. It's going to answer all your questions. It's going to tell you all about. Uh, it's a very physically strenuous trip. It's not only Israel, though, is it? It's not. It's also Turkey. Also Turkey. It's three weeks, July 24th through August 12th, 2018. And we are going to head over and do 10 days or so in Israel, six, seven days in Turkey, and uh, going to have a great time. So we're looking for deposits so that people can reserve their seat. And uh, yeah, so we got all kinds of information. Uh, I can get you in a Facebook group, and uh, you can watch an orientation video. You can also watch a video that gives you instructions on how to get registered. So let me know. Love to have you come with us. It's a great time. Brent will tell you. Absolutely. Yep. Full endorsement. I like it. All right. Well, if you live on the Palouse, join us for discussion groups in Moscow on Tuesday or in Pullman on Wednesday. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him uh, on Twitter at Marty Solomon. Of course, his email is also in the show notes. You can find me on Twitter at EIBCB, and you can find more details about the show at BaymontDiscipleship.com. Thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon.